I wonder whether you can um, think back to an experience that you had where either in the moment or looking back after the fact, you look at that experience and you say, my goodness, um, only God could have done that. While you're scanning your memory for those experiences, I'll tell you one of mine. It was October 1996, and I was driving down the QEW from St. Catharines to Hamilton at about 7.15 in the morning. That entire season of my life was consumed by questions about what I would do after I graduated from engineering at the University of Waterloo in the spring of 1997. Of course, I could go out and find an engineering job. That was always an option. But I knew even before I went into engineering that I wanted to do this. I wanted to preach. I wanted to be a pastor. I talked to people in my life who have wisdom. And um, even before I went to university. And the general consensus was I was too young and I was too inexperienced. I didn't know anything and, and uh, too naive or I didn't know, you know, I hadn't learned anything from the school of hard knocks. So I should go to university, get a degree, get a job, work in the professional world for five to 10 years, gain some life experience, gain some age and some perspective. And then, you know, I would have what, it, what I needed in order to teach people from the Bible how to live, you know, following Jesus in everyday life. And so, so that's what I did. And on this particular morning in October of 1996, I was driving down the QEW at 7.15 in the morning. It was earlier than I usually drove to work. And so when I turned on the Christian radio station, which I often did in the morning, I heard a program that I didn't usually listen to, a program that I wouldn't listen to today or recommend you listen to. It was just what was on when I turned on the Christian radio station. And instead of hearing their normal programming, what I heard instead was a man with cerebral palsy, a preacher with cerebral palsy, talking about how he knew in the in the core of his soul that God had invited him to preach, but he had all these people in his life who were telling him that he wasn't able to preach. His wheelchair made it impossible because stages were inaccessible and his voice made him, because people didn't want to listen to his voice with cerebral palsy and his general weakness. You know, he didn't have the strength and the stamina to preach. And, and he, he just kept listing all of these reasons why people told him that he was not able to preach, but he kept saying, he kept coming back to this line. He says, but in my soul I had a want to I knew God had called me to preach and when he was done telling his story the host of the program came on and he said listen he said I know that uh, young people are not the primary demographic that listens to our radio program and in particular young men do not listen to our radio program this was a sexist kind of program so they focused on man and he said but he said here's what I know there are young men who are listening right now who know in their soul that God has called them to preach but you have these voices in your head people in your life who have told you that you're too young or you're too naive or you're too inexperienced that you're you just don't know enough you need some education that you don't know enough to preach God's word but I'm here to tell you that like this man if you know in your soul that God has called you to preach then by God God has called you to preach and you'd better preach 
<laughs> driving down the QEW at 7.15 in the morning, bawling my eyes out because I'm going to this engineering job that I don't want to do. And I knew God had called me to preach. And so I got to work and I came to my desk. And at 9 a.m., I made a phone call to a seminary in Toronto and said, send me a registration package. I'm coming to school. And 11 months later, I started seminary training to become a pastor just 10 days after I was hired at this church. And in that moment, and in every moment in the last 23 and a half years, I have known beyond a shadow of a doubt that only God could have done that. That was a moment when I experienced the powerful presence and life and love of God in my life in, in an extraordinary way. And the question that I live with and the question that maybe you live with as you have thought back and hopefully thought of an example of a time when you had a really profound encounter with God like that. And the question that haunts me now is why doesn't that happen more often? What would it look like to live the kind of life where those kinds of experiences with God became the norm? And why don't they? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we turn back to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. If you have a Bible or a Bible app or you want to look on a friend or the, the verses will be on the screen, you can read them there as well. But we're beginning this series called Family Roots back in the book of Galatians that we started back in the fall. Um, when we study Galatians chapter 1 and 2. So if you weren't here in the fall, you can go online and you can listen to that sermon series to get all caught up. But I'll give you the brief synopsis. The letter to the Galatians is written by the Apostle Paul, who is both angry and mortified that this church or these churches that he planted and got going in a province of the Roman Empire called Galatia, which is in southern Turkey, he had planted these churches. He had left them. They were strong and stable. And then what had happened was there were missionaries who had come in after Paul preaching a different message than the one that Paul preached. They came in saying, you know, Paul, he's a good guy. Put your faith in Jesus. Great message. But he only gave you half the story. Here's the other half of the story. Now that you've put your faith in Jesus, if you really want to be serious about your life of faith, you have to start obeying the religious rules found in the Jewish law. In particular, men, line up. You got to get circumcised. Number two, clean out your fridge because y'all are kosher now. Number three, call your bosses. You're not coming to work on Saturdays anymore because you need to observe the Sabbath. If you're going to seriously follow Jesus, then these rules are not optional. They're mandatory. And the Galatian churches were starting to buy into this message that now that since they had put their faith in Jesus, now was the time to get serious about following the religious rules. And Paul, mortified, writes this letter to say, stop, what are you doing? That your life with Jesus in an ongoing way is exactly the same as your life with Jesus at the beginning. It is by grace alone. This letter was originally written in the Greek language and the Greek word for grace is just the word gift. It is God's free gift to you that he gives you just because he loves you. It is by grace alone through faith alone. 
There's nothing that you have to do or even can do in order to earn or deserve the life that Jesus wants to give you. you. The only thing you need to do is reach out in faith and receive this free gift of the life of Jesus that God wants to give you. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That we don't put our, our faith in ourselves and our ability to zealously, you know, be a religious rule keeper. We put our faith in the finished work of Jesus in his life and death and resurrection who has rescued not only us, but is reconciling all of creation back to God, making the world back into the way that God wants it to be. That was Paul's message. He says, a life with God is not a life of religious rule keeping. And anybody who tells you it is, Paul says, is not only distorting the gospel, they're destroying the gospel. He says, that's not even gospel. It's not even good news. That's bad news. That what God wants from you now is all sorts of religious rule keeping. He says, the only thing God wants now is the same thing that God wanted then, is for you to receive the free gift by faith of the life of Jesus. That's what God wants for you. That was the point Paul made in Galatians 1 and 2. And now he's going in Galatians 3 and 4 to try and convince them to believe him. And this is where he begins. In Galatians chapter 3 verse 1, he says this. You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. So I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you've heard? You can hear the frustration in his voice, he's, he's genuinely baffled as to how his friends who were so eager to put their faith in Jesus Christ are now being so easily convinced that a life with God is supposed to be a life of religious rule keeping. He, he, he can't believe it. In fact, he says, who bewitched you? In the Greek language, what Paul really says is, who cast an evil eye on you? Who cast a spell on you? I, I have Italian friends who tell me that in more superstitious Italian homes, they, people are afraid of il malocchio. Il malocchio is the evil eye. That when somebody basically gives you the stink eye, they're casting a spell on you. They're trying to hex your life so that you get dragged down and they can get lifted up. And, and my Italian friends tell me the only way to ward off il malocchio is with this hand gesture. And so sometimes you will see Italian people with a chain around their neck that has a pendant that is, that is this hand gesture on the bottom. That's how you protect yourself from il malocchio. So... <laughs> my friend Dino and I, when he was, when he was bugging me, I would look at him and go, pff, 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 like, <laughs> il malocchio. And he would, he would stick up his hand. But Paul says, maybe, maybe that's what happened. Maybe somebody cast a spell on you by giving you the stink eye. He says, literally, that's the only reasonable explanation I can come up with as to why people who were so in love with Jesus and who just put their faith in Jesus and received the gift of life from Jesus are now so eager to become religious rule keepers. It makes no sense. So he says, I want to just ask you one question. He asks them to think back to when they first put their faith in Jesus. He said, when you first believed in Jesus and received 
the Holy Spirit. When he says receive the Holy Spirit, that's what happens in the moment when you put your faith in Jesus. Your life is filled with the living life and power and love of God in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Your life is literally filled with the life of God because the Holy Spirit comes to invade your life and our entire community. He says, when you receive the Spirit, was that because you put your faith in Jesus? Or was it because you were such a great religious rule keeper? <laughs> well, the answer is obvious. Of course it was because, not because they were great religious rule keepers. It was because they put their faith in Jesus. And so he asks the question again in verse 5. He says, so I ask, again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? He says, I'm going to ask you again. He says, not about when you first put your faith in Jesus, but now when you look around and you see a community where God is at work everywhere and miracles are happening on all sides and people are getting healed and all sorts of stuff is going on by miracle. All I mean is something that you point to and say, only God could have done that, right? When that's happening all around you, are those miracles happening because you believed in Jesus or are they happening because you're just such great religious rule keepers? Well, of course, they're happening because of faith, not because people are so legalistically committed to following the rules. And so he draws this conclusion in verse three. He says, are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? He says, I just want you to think about all of the experiences that you've had with God. All of the ways that the life and, and power and love of the Holy Spirit has invaded your life and filled the community. All the ways that you've seen things happen that only God could do. And he says, knowing that you started with faith and began to experience all this stuff. Why are you now abandoning all of that? To become super zealous religious rule keepers as though that's what God really wants. He said, haven't you learned anything from your experience? Because what God ultimately wants is not for a community full of real zealous religious rule keepers. What God really wants is for people to receive the life and love of Jesus by faith from the grace as the free gift of God that we can and need to do nothing to earn or deserve. I find it interesting that Paul begins his argument here with their experience. Uh, he doesn't say, remember what I preached to you? That's not how it works. He doesn't say, well, you know, what does the Bible say? Let's look it up. And he, he does talk about the Bible. We're going to talk about that next week. But he starts with their experience and he says, think about everything you've experienced with the powerful life and love of the Holy Spirit. Was any of that because you were such good rule keepers? I find it interesting that that's the beginning of his argument because I'm not sure Paul could have made that argument with us. Um, unlike the Galatians, I think we as good 21st century modern people, we have a hard time 
actually pointing to experiences that we have had with the powerful life and love of the Holy Spirit. At least many of us do. I wonder whether you've been able to come up with an example of an experience that you've had where you pointed back and said only God could have done that. Because the interesting thing is when you read the New Testament of the Bible, the expectation of the New Testament of the Bible is that the lives of people who follow Jesus Christ are filled with those kinds of experiences. You go back and read the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, it's called. It's the story of the first 30 years of the life of the church, give or take. And it is a story that is positively riddled with these kinds of encounters with the life of the Holy Spirit. Like miraculous things, stuff that only God could do. People being cured of incurable diseases. People being set free from the powers of darkness that control their life. People, you know, having words of knowledge, like being able to know things that they had no business knowing except that God had revealed it to them. People, you know, experiencing dreams and visions and hearing the voice of God and receiving God's direction so that they knew which way to go in life because the spirit was leading them. Like it is incredible the stuff that goes on in this book and, and not just, you know, stuff that we would call miracles. The whole point of the book of Acts is that all of the other stuff, the stuff that we would never call miracles is also nothing but the work of the Holy Spirit in the community. When... When people look at the sin in their life and they repent and they say, I don't want to have anything to do with that anymore. I want Jesus to forgive me and to turn me into somebody who just loves God and loves people. Only God could do that. And he does it by his Holy Spirit. When you see people being irrationally generous with the poor. You know, the book of Acts tells stories of people selling homes and giving them money to the church just to make sure that nobody goes without when you, when you see people living courageously in faithfulness to Jesus, even though it might cost them their very lives, only the Holy Spirit can do that stuff. Only the Holy Spirit can change a, a heart like that. When you see, you know, just like the series we just came through, when you see communities of diverse people who have no business being in community together, and yet here they are eating together and praying together and loving each other, welcoming outsiders and outcasts, being church. That's the Holy Spirit does that. Only God can change a heart to make it welcoming and inclusive like that. And this is the, the thing that strikes me as we read the New Testament is that this is what the Bible considers to be the normal state of affairs in a Christian life or in a community like the church is that the Holy Spirit is everywhere, obviously active in people's lives. And, and our problem is, we have two problems. The first is that we've come to not expect it. Like good modern 21st century people, we don't believe that God does those things anymore. So um, we don't pray that God would heal somebody. We don't pray that God would set somebody free from their addiction and their mental health issues or whatever the case may be. We don't, um, we don't pray that God would reconcile relationships and save marriages and restore families. And um, we don't pray that God would do miracles in our midst. 
give people profound, you know, changes of heart so that their lives are just utterly transformed. We, we don't expect God to do the miraculous. And our second problem is we don't recognize it when God does. When he works in those non-miraculous ways, ways that are deceptive. And we, we, we neglect to call those the working of the Holy Spirit. The, the, the Bible says in James, we studied it last year, every good and perfect gift, every good and beautiful thing you've ever experienced with God is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Every moment when you have suddenly felt close to God, in, whether in worship or in community or in nature or watching a, you know, looking at a piece of art or whatever, every moment when you felt that closeness to God, that was the Holy Spirit. Every moment when love wins in your life or in the community through hope or justice or compassion or mercy, that's the Holy Spirit. Every time a need is met, every time um, a relationship is restored, every time a temptation is defeated, every time uh, a medical issue has resolution, regardless of how those things came about, only the Holy Spirit can do that. We sing this song, Waymaker, uh, with the line that says, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. We could add a line that says, even when I don't acknowledge that it was you, you're still working. It's your spirit that is doing every good and perfect thing that we experience in our community. That's what the Bible says, that is the normal state of affairs of those who live their lives to follow Jesus is that our lives and our communities are absolutely invaded and, and, and pervasively experiencing the, the powerful life and love of the Holy Spirit everywhere we go. And, and we've got to learn to expect it and pray for it. And we have to learn to recognize it when we see it and name it and celebrate it as what only God could do in our community. That's the normal state of affairs for the life of someone who follows Jesus is that their life is filled with experiences of the powerful life and love of the Holy Spirit doing what only God could do, which is why Jesus in Luke chapter 11, when the disciples ask him, would you teach us how to pray? The last thing he says to them is this. He says, you want to know what to pray for? Let's pray for this. If you then, he says, Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. You're, you're all, he says, those of you who are parents, you're all imperfect parents. You love imperfectly, you blow up, you do the wrong thing, you yell at your kids. I, I get it, you're not perfect, but even you know how to give your kids good things. He says, by comparison, how much more will your perfectly heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? That's the invitation of Jesus. Paul says in Galatians, if you want to experience the Holy Spirit, like how do we live our lives in such a way so that this is the pervasive and normal experience in our life and in our community? Well, Paul says, first of all, I'll tell you how not to do it. You don't experience the vibrant, dynamic, abundant, powerful life and love of the Holy Spirit pervasively in your life by obsessing about becoming a religious rule keeper. If that's 
the focus, if that's what consumes your attention, if that's what you think a life with Jesus is about, you will not experience the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit in the same way. Paul's point to the Galatians is this, that the life with Jesus isn't the girl guides or the boy scouts or swimming lessons where you, you know, if you accomplish a series of tasks, then you can get the badge and level up and experience the rewards of having accomplished that next level of achievement. That's not, that's not what this is about, but we live as though it is. Right? We live with this conviction that if I could just get all of my theology straight so that I know that all of my beliefs are right and I don't believe anything that's wrong or if I could you know, read my Bible and pray every single day for an entire year, if I could finally quit smoking or quit drinking or if I could finally get over this sin, well then God will be really impressed with my devotedness and he will reward me by giving me the good things that I hope for in life. We, we live as though that's what God really wants from us. And that's not how any of this works. I mean, those are all good things to do and live towards them. And I believe that you will be a better follower of Jesus because of it. But it won't change God's posture towards you. It won't change his love for you. It's not like you're going to impress God and earn points for, to cash in for a greater reward. You God will love you just the same, no matter what, because he cannot love you more and he will not love you less. And he is waiting in heaven just to pour out his life on you. Not because you're a good little religious rule keeper, but just because you're leaning in to him in faith. Now, here's, I don't want you to hear me saying, therefore, it doesn't matter how you live. Right? Paul was accused of that all the time that he would say, well, listen, God doesn't want you to be a religious rule keeper. And people say, oh, great. So, you know, who cares what you do? And Paul says, God, you know, God forbid that that's what you think I'm saying. Right? We, I don't, I don't honor the requests of my, my wife or my parents or my kids or my friends. Um, or I, I don't ignore their requests because I know they'll love me anyway. Right? That's not love. That's taking people for granted. I also don't honor their requests and do what they ask of me because I think that if I do, they will give me something in return. That's not love either. That's called manipulation. What the way I live and you live in relationship with the people that you love is that hopefully you posture your life in grateful love towards them just because of who they are, because you're profoundly grateful for who they are and who they've been to you. And you just want to honor them by loving them as best as you know how. And so you give your life to doing what is best for them. That's how we live with God. It's not you know, earning points by accomplishing tasks so that God will be impressed and reward us with more life in the spirit. Paul says, if you obsess, if you organize your life with God around being a super diligent and zealous religious rule keeper, you are going to shut yourself off from the experience of the Holy Spirit. Except that God is gracious and <laughs> he can forgive you for that. Paul says, what you do, the way you experience the life in the spirit is by leaning into Jesus in faith. That's it. By believing that God wants to give you this 
powerful life and love of the Holy Spirit. He wants that to fill your life and fill our community and bubble over in powerful ways so we just point at stuff and say, only God could have done that. He wants us to believe it. He wants us to trust him, to live with an expectation that we're going to see God do something amazing today. That we're just leaning into Jesus and saying, God, I want you to show up in ways that make my jaw drop today. And I trust that that's what you want from me. That we would be living in faithfulness to Jesus. That we would say, listen, God, um, because I love you and I'm just profoundly grateful for who you are and for sending Jesus and for filling my life with the Holy Spirit. I just want to honor you with my grateful love and just live my life in alignment with your will, you know, for me. It's not about how well we keep the rules. It's about how willing we are to lean in in faith. Not that faith, by the way, is a new work, right? That we're going to impress God with our faith. We're going to, if we believe hard enough or believe consistently enough, or if we can believe without doubting and, and believe earnestly enough, then God will be super impressed with how amazing our faith is and he will give us what we ask for. And that doesn't work that way. Faith isn't a new work that we're trying to do to impress God and earn more of his love or presence or power or life somehow. Now, faith is simply, it's like turning on a faucet to get a drink of water. Faith is just believing that there's water to be had and trusting that if I turn the handle that the water is going to flow and then just faithfully waiting to experience the flow that I have uh, made possible just by having enough faith to open the handle. It's not that I've done a work to experience the water. I've earned the water. It's that just in faith, I've created a set of circumstances where water is bound to flow. That's, that's what Jesus is inviting us into. Not a life that is utterly organized around religious rule keeping that we impose on ourselves and on each other that comes heaped with guilt and shame and because we're constant failures and who's, who's not living by the rules and who's not meeting my expectations and who can I criticize and who can I judge and of course I'm a hypocrite because I don't follow the rules either. It's not about how well someone follows the rules. It's about how genuinely someone leans in in faith. And if we do, Paul says, if we just learn to leave this stuff behind and we lean in to Jesus in faith, then the powerful life and love of the Holy Spirit which fills our lives and fills our community already and is already active in ways that we don't even recognize most of the time, the, whole, the life and the power of the Holy Spirit will give us eyes to see God at work all around us, will give us the trust to expect that God is on the move and will give us the opportunity to experience things that we can point to and say, only God could do that. And I pray that that's the kind of community that we can become. Let's pray together that God would do that. Heavenly Father, we make our lives of faith about all sorts of stuff that you have never said that it was about, including all sorts of rules that we write about how we're supposed to behave. I pray, God, that instead you would in 
Help us to see that our life with you is a gift that we receive by faith when we lean into Christ. And would you teach us how to do that more and more? Because there are folks here this morning, God, who need a miracle, who need to see your Holy Spirit do something that only God could do in our midst. And I pray that you would unleash the power of the Holy Spirit to do those things. But at the same time, I pray that you would give us the eyes to see the things that you're already doing, even in circumstances where you're not doing what we wish you would do. I pray that you would give us the eyes to see your powerful life and love flowing among us, filling us and making us as people and us as a community more like you in Jesus. That's what we want. And we literally want nothing else. You promised to send the Holy Spirit to those who pray. And so we pray today to send your spirit among us in vital and abundant ways. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.